This is Raw Cut. This is Life Burst. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. Today, another incredible story of courage and of perseverance. And we are so excited to have her sharing on the show today. This is Life Burst. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. Welcome to the show today. (laughs) It is really good you could join us. And uh, we love bringing stories to you of uh, of local people, people from across Australia who have a story to tell. We all have a story. And today is no exception as we share and hear from a story uh, that, uh, that there's so much in, a story of perseverance and courage. That's right. So on today's show, we have the one and only... I don't know which way to look because she's not here with us today. She's on video. So it's Kelly. Kel, there, there. Joining <laughs> us online. G'day, Kel. Hey, guys. How are you going? Thank you so much for having me with you today. It's very, very exciting. Ex- I know. We're very excited to have you. So tell us at the very beginning, take us back to the very beginning of your life. Where did life start out for you? Uh, well, right from the beginning, it was a bit uh, tough for uh, my poor mama bear. She um, she had a pretty rough life herself and so she had me as a single mum. She was all of 16 years of age. So uh, it started out a bit tough in the beginning um, but she married a lovely fella called Kevin and uh, we ended up moving out into the bush in Queensland um, in a little place called Bororan and it's still where I uh, call home. Uh, amongst the gum trees and lots of plum trees and a sheep or two and a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> where is that? But um, Bororan, it is, yeah, like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> if, if you blink, you'll miss it on the highway. It's um, it's about 45 minutes uh, south of Gladstone in, in Queensland um, on the way to sort of uh, Brisbane, I guess. Um, it's not really in the middle <laughs> I don't know. Delete that. <laughs> no, it's it's somewhere. It's 40, in there. Yep. Yeah, it's like forty-five minutes south of Gladstone on the on the Bruce Highway. So it's a very small place. Um, we uh, basically had our family home there, and we still have our family home there. So um, it's where I spend all my time now, um, and I am about to move, but um, this will always be home. And you know, it, it was a beautiful upbringing. We we pretty much grew up in a little caravan. Um, we had, uh, you know, baths in buckets and and in the in the runoff from the rainwater tanks. It was such a beautiful, innocent, fun. Uh, there was camping and fishing, and you know, we'd spend our weekends just doing the things that kids can only dream of these days. Sometimes, you know, like. Um, I think it's a real struggle for for kids these days with social media and, you know, being attached to their devices and, you know, we didn't have any of that growing up. Like I'm not that old. (laughs) Mm. I'm about to hit 40, but not yet. I'm not there yet. I'm still in my 30s (laughs) technically. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it was a beautiful time um, of of complete innocence, I want to say, and uh, that growing up was... I think a big part of the resilience that I know that I have today because we didn't get everything. We didn't take things for granted, you know. 
Um, it was very sweet, innocent, um, you know, didn't want for anything because we couldn't afford it. You know, we're very, didn't have a lot of money uh, growing up. You know, we, we, we were rich in many things, but not in wealth. Um, we were very safe, very cared for. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> had some great memories of, of having uh, mud fights with my brother and, and throwing cow poo at each other. And um, I, I can count the number of times I was in hospital for falling off my bike or getting stitches or breaking something. You know, it, it was a very um, long wait in the emergency department. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> like, it's a really, what other types of things did you get up to in the middle of nowhere? Oh, well, besides throwing mud at each other and cow poo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, look, we just, you know, build cubby houses and I, I was a very um, good athlete as a young person and I, I remember my dad would say to me to get out in the yard and train and the, the only thing I could hurdle was a barbed wire fence. So, you know, oh, I was no. a track and field athlete and I just hoped that I wouldn't miss. So I made, made sure I cleared the hurdles. So. <laughs> that is some really yeah. tough training. Well done. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I just remember picking up boulders and using them as shot puts and um, using the cattle trails for training and, you know, going down the dam and swimming and, you know, dodging snakes that decided to swim with us sometimes. And, you know, it was it was very scary for probably some people. If you're from America, you'd cringe at some of the creatures we've got here. But uh, we just fall into the fabric of what it is to live as an Aussie bush kid. and. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, um, you know, we're, we're very close to their family. Uh, we, we had a great upbringing in that sense. You know, we cooked on an outdoor fire. We'd have family come and visit, cousins. We had every animal you could think of besides, you know, like stumpy-tailed lizards and kangaroos. And um, we had a pet crow once that would follow the school bus all the way into school and sit on the port racks and wait for us to finish and follow the school bus back home again until we got home. You know, it was just just beautiful times. And, you know, my favourite stuff to do was the, the fishing and the camping. That was the most uh, beautiful part of it, you know. You just mm. completely escaped from the world. And it's it's still what I, what I do today to escape the busyness of life. So... There are yeah. definitely some stories <laughs> that are appropriate are. <laughs> to share from that time. Um, yeah, well, there's, there's, I'm sure I can think of several, but I, I do, unfortunately, I've lost a lot of memories from uh, my childhood because of my story. Um, mm. But there are things that have stood out to me. Um, and, and mostly it's, it's the joy of spending time with like my best friend Mel at the time and, she was like a gift to me of she was just absolutely crazy fun we used to call each other the the worst names under the sun i'm sure our parents were just like oh my god like i can't believe you would say that <laughs> you know but I, I remember um it was so funny we we would there's, there's two things that come to mind about the funny stories and, and one of them is we used to make these cow poo bongs and it's basically a Milo tin with little holes in the bottom and we fill it with cow poo and light it up so that we can get rid of all the mosquitoes, right? Because when you're out camping and there's sand flies and mozzies, you need to take care of the 
take care of the mozzies and stuff like that. So we light it up and it just smoke and we would wander around with this cow poop on all day and um, <laughs> just laughing, like yeah. innocent fun and, and calling each other silly names and it was just... Did it work? It was one yeah, of Yeah, did it work? Did it keep the sand flies off? Yes, absolutely. There's, there's <laughs> there you total... Go. You heard it here. Like, yeah, cow poop, it works for everything. Absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. Um, heard it's good for the skin too. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got that into Your word, not ours. Take it, take it or leave it, the advice that's given yeah, here. Yeah, this, this is 40-year-old skin, right? <laughs> uh, hey, look, right, right. now your, uh, your training methods there, obviously we've brought you in because you're now an elite athlete um, playing for Australia, uh, but that didn't quite work out for you, obviously. Um, no, look. But uh, uh, as a young person, in those early years, did you have some sense of what you'd hoped to be when you grew up, what you wanted to do? Uh, definitely. Look, I always dreamed of being an Olympian. That was my that was my heart. And I guess it, it could get a little bit complicated as I try and explain it, but I think it's what saved me from what I was experiencing because um, – it, and, and this is the unscathed beauty story. And um, I, I was sexually abused by my uncle from the age of eight until 15. So that obviously changed life for me as I knew it. Mm -hmm. And I, I was an athlete from about the age of nine or 10. And I threw myself into my sport. And when I say threw, it just, it was, it was sport and, and being a bush kid and that was like my life, you know. I mean, I had friends and we, we used to do lots of stuff and hang out and all that sort of thing, you know. But it, it was it was tough because I had this dark side of things that were going on. But my sport and, and this dream that I had just, and I call it shards of light. And in my book I talk a lot about these people that would come along on my journey and, they're just like beacons of hope and and love, and they just come in and make you forget about everything that's that's going on that that's difficult and tough. And sport and athletics, so track and field and running and shot put and discus and javelin and hurdles and all those types of things, they were all part of this this I guess distraction from from what was happening in my life. So mm -hmm. that's right. That's this yeah. is Life First with Matt and Sarah. We'll be back straight after this. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. And I just want to mention a couple of numbers because while we're talking, if any of this brings up anything and you want to have a chat with someone, there's 1-800-RESPECT or there's Lifeline, which is 13 11 14, that you can call and talk to any time of day or night. Mm. Now, Kel, we're uh, talking your story. You've mentioned some uh, an idyllic upbringing but also uh you've alluded to uh something that happened to you that uh, that changed the trajectory of your life uh we noticed your book behind you as well mm -hmm. um you've mentioned that uh, so the next part of your story you pick up in this book which is a memoir uh, where did where did life go from here yes yeah, so um unscathed beauty this is, this is my book here mm -hmm. it's um 
the cover really sort of says it all. It's um, trying to break free from the, the, the dark stuff, I guess. And I, I just mentioned earlier about the shards of, of light and it's the people that come along in your life that, mm. you know, I, I call them light bulb people or, you know, that, that really make a difference and, and um, support you on the way. Even if they don't know what's going on, they just love you unconditionally and we sometimes forget uh, who those people are in our life when we're mm -hmm. struggling. So, um, but yeah, and my uncle was, was one of those people. He was one of our favourite uh, uncles. He um, spent a lot of time with our family and if we know anything about um, pedophiles or child sex offenders, they uh, groom you and they groom your family. And sometimes uh, in that whole process uh, we forget uh, that that's actually happening and so we blame ourselves and families blame themselves for things that happen to their children because they, they believe it's their fault. But like my uncle who spent a lot of time with us, he spent a lot of time with my family and so it's through that grooming process and spending uh, time with us and helping us at home and, you know, we were building our dream home and well, my dad's, mum and dad's vision of having this beautiful farmhouse and you know, because we just had this block of land and, and we, we grew up so, uh, like I said, innocently and playing and, like, you know, we would um, bath under the runoff of the rainwater tanks and we didn't have internet and, and you know, it was it was just so wonderful. And my uncle would come down and help build our big house and uh, we'd go fishing and we'd go camping with them and, and spend this time with them. And it was during those times and in getting to know my uncle and him spending time with us that he would, you know, read stories and we'd stay overnight with them. And, you know, cause I have a brother and I have a sister as well. And we're all five years apart with my sister being the youngest at um, uh, 10 years difference between her and I. And so, um, you know, things started with me when I was about eight and that was the first thing that happened. And uh, I, I very specifically remember it, even though I was so young, I remember that first moment and, uh, it was uh, being innocent, being being a child and running around in my underwear and, you know, he said, he said, come here, I want to teach you what it's like to love. And it was from that point that he started to sexually abuse me. So that continued from eight up until I was 15. And it's it's very hard for many people to talk about it and it's very hard for people to hear, but I talk about it because it opens up avenues of conversation that need to be had. And through having these conversations, the number of people that have disclosed and come forward and shared their story has been more than I could ever have hoped for. Um, and when I first uh, thought that I would share Unscathed Beauty, share, share this story, I, I didn't imagine the impact that talking about this tough stuff would have because it was so hard for me to even begin to talk about this and mm -hmm. and in order to understand that you really do need to read the book but just that there's a few things within it that that will silence it you know because there's so much fear around being found out and that, that comes from the offender themselves and um you know spending so much time with them and, and, and the offending that's happening makes you feel so dirty and ashamed and you don't want to talk about that out loud. You don't want to say what's happening because you've got these little seeds that have been embedded into your head from the pe the predator that, you know, if, if you do speak up, you're going to break up your family or, um, you know, you're going to get me in trouble or you're going to be in trouble. They're not going to love you anymore. They're going to abandon you. And 
within, within all of this, like not everything that I just said was a thought that I had, but it was something that I felt. It wasn't something that he necessarily said, but because I felt ashamed of what was happening, it, it just becomes this embedded process in your mind that uh, you, you just believe it because it's what, what they've done. It's what the perpetrator has done to you. And so, you know, I had my sport and I had um, these outlets for for everything that was going on, but I still had this this darkness that was happening on the other side. Yes. Um, when, when you were eight did you know what was happening to you and before you answer that question just want to remind people of 1-800-RESPECT or 13-11-14 for Lifeline if you would like to speak about anything to anyone that we're discussing today so yeah did you know what was happening to you when you were eight uh I didn't really um and I didn't have an awareness so much of, I mean, I didn't know specifically like that it was right or wrong, but I felt funny and I didn't know what those feelings meant. Um, and I didn't have a language around what was going on in order to say, hey, this is what's happening to me. And um, it wasn't until I was 12 that I realised how wrong it was. But by then I'd already been well and truly groomed and then I was stuck in this in this cycle. So, um, you know, it, it's it's very difficult for a lot of people to identify something that becomes normalised. Now, was it just, of, was it just you, or were there your siblings as well? No, well, my siblings were uh, a lot younger than me at the time. My brother was only three, and my sister wasn't born when this first happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it wasn't until much later that. Uh, and, and then I knew that it was wrong that I became concerned about perhaps what he might do to my sister or family. And so but by then I, I had um, obviously worked out a few things and um, I'd started to, like, I, I did try to talk to people, but it was very much like I tested the waters and, and you do this and I, I keep referring to myself a bit like a turtle, you know, I stick my head out and then put my head back in my shell because <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't know if anyone's going to believe me or, you know, and, and we do that. We'll just like, it reminds me of my cat when she's trying to get out of the cat flap. She'll like stick her head out and have a look around and see if it's <laughs> safe and then she'll, yeah. you know, hide again. So, um, you know, and, and I laugh because, I mean, I could commiserate over it for the rest of my life and be like, man, I should have said this and I should have said that, but I didn't and there's reasons and that's why I do what I do now. So, you know, you need safe spaces to talk and I just didn't feel safe, not because my parents were unsafe people, not because I was in an unsafe home, but I didn't feel emotionally safe and I didn't have the words and I didn't have the language around that and that's why early intervention and teaching your kids is so important Um, and to name your body parts as the correct body parts like penis and vagina, like you must teach children very young age, at a very young age, to be able to say that because Incorrect disclosures means cases get lost in court. That's just how it is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we must be talking about the naming of our body parts. And, you know, well, when I, when I first something happened to me, I got sweaty and I was scared and I had butterflies in my stomach. But what does that mean? And, and teaching kids what fear looks like and, and that it's okay when you're afraid and, you know, creating that safe space to come forward and have a conversation with you about what's happening in their life. Well, thank um, you for being so honest. 
already, you know, we're only like part two or part five through our interview, but thank you for being so open and honest with, with your sharing with us so far. Um, it's really special to have this type of privilege to be able to share these stories. So thank you. Mm. No, that's all right. And look, I'm, I'm happy to because if this conversation is heard by one child or one family that's struggling, then I know that it's, it's absolutely worth it because um, we need to have these conversations. And, you know, it's all said with, from complete love from my heart because I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know what my family's experienced because of it, and it's just why I do what I do. So well done. Um, well and done. and likewise, you're giving out those phone phone numbers. I'm not a crisis support service or anything like that, but I have a lot of information that, um, you know, I, I can help with. And if anyone has questions, I'm happy to take questions. So yeah. Well, Mel, when we Kel, um, uh, when we come back, uh, we'd love to hear um, what's given you that courage to, yeah. to go from that experience to yep. where you are now. So this is Life Bursts uh, with Sarah and Matt. Don't go away. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. This is Life Bursts with Matt and Sarah. And if anything that we're talking about today is bringing up anything uh, that you want to talk to someone about. We've got 1-800-RESPECTS that you can call or 13 11 14 for Lifeline. And you can call both of those numbers anytime during the day or at night. Mm. This is Life Burst. We're chatting to Kill and uh, hearing a story of uh, such impacts um, as a young person being sexually abused. And you, you've alluded to the fact that it, it was um, a darkness that you carried through that as well. But at a certain point, you had the courage to speak up about what was happening. Uh, tell us what, what led you to that. Yeah, well, that didn't happen until I was about 19, actually. It took me quite a long time to, to find that courage. But there was this uh, one opportunity where um, I, I was 12. And like I mentioned uh, earlier, I did find out eventually at some point that, that what was happening to me was, was quite wrong. Mm. Um, but the penny didn't really drop until until that moment. And there was a conversation with my mother at the sink um, and she gets really cranky when she's washing up and she's thinking and she's like one of those slammers and she's like slamming the dishes in the sink. Um, but um, she, she just kind of whirled around to me and she's like, has your uncle ever touched you, you know? And I was just like, whoa, hang on. And... And I, I remember that moment, I just froze and this, you know, when you get this, I call it a shame wash and I had the shame wash and I had like prickly hands and, and, and sweaty like palms and I just felt so sick and uh, I, I was the first opportunity that I had to say something and I thought, you know, this is this is the moment, this is what, this is what I need to do and then I just, I, I couldn't speak, I just actually had no physical ability to to speak and um i I said no and then i just ran off and i ran up into the garden and that was the first time i actually had thought about suicide um i just didn't want to be there anymore i felt disgusting i felt dirty it was just horrible and i remember in the shower that night just wanting to wash wash myself clean of, of everything and i knew beyond all reasonable doubt that it was all lies, it was all wrong. And I 
I think that's when my difficulties really, really started with trying to balance my mental health and, and my focus on my sport. And uh, I think it just made me push harder and harder. And it's why I'm so busy all the time now. I just I just keep doing stuff so I don't have to sit still and think about those things. And uh, it wasn't until I was 19 and, and by then I had a very successful sporting career, Australian-level athlete, um, travelled over Australia, travelled internationally, um, in, in multiple sports uh, and, and I just drove myself um, and, and, it, and it was, it was like I said, it, it was what saved me, I believe. Um, but it wasn't until I was 19 that, that I started having these repeated nightmares. And when I say repeated, it was, it was horrible and it, it was me. I was dreaming of my little sister and she's so petite and pretty and beautiful. She's got the most stunning blue eyes. She's got blonde hair. We don't look anything alike. She got the pretty jeans and I didn't, but, Aww. you know, she, she, she's gorgeous. <laughs> but um, she she was running and, and running in my dream and it's it's like, you know, when the kids are running through the wheat field and there's like this beautiful shining sun, but there was something dark and it was chasing her and I could feel it. Uh, and then I couldn't find her. I couldn't find her anywhere. And I just remember, um, and again, this dream repeated to me every night for like months on end. And, and I remember standing at this fountain and then looking down into the fountain and then I could see her and she was staring up at me, these big, beautiful blue eyes, but she was trying to talk, but she couldn't, she didn't have words. And then I, I looked up and across from me at the fountain was my uncle and I knew he was coming for her. Uh, that was, that was hard. And I, and I wrestled with myself and I wrestled with, telling my parents uh, about this and I just I just had to. And then I, um, the other part of this is I was, I was very good at my sport. I was doing soccer uh, and, and competing at my, my best uh, athletics uh, that, that I've been doing and um, I ended up getting hit by a car. I got hit by a car and I broke my leg and I thought my world was over. There was, there was two big catalysts here and um, – I, I, I felt like I couldn't do anything with my life anymore. I had all these dreams of going to America, going to college in the United States, and uh, I, I thought it was all over. That was it. And um, I was sitting down and talking to my coach uh, at the school and I just fell out of my mouth what had happened. There was no plan to tell anyone. I just could not cope anymore. I was so depressed and so anxious I'd get lost uh, on the most simple route and then I'd be so confused um, I was diagnosed with depression and a whole bunch of other stuff and I, I just was so lost and she said to me she's like Kel like I can't help you she said but I'm going to find somebody who can and that's when it all started and so we'd made an agreement to speak to the police but before I did that I had to tell mum and dad and how did that go? And how did that unfold? Yeah, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was bloody horrible. <laughs> but um, all those fears—that's that, those fears that, that come up inside of you uh, when when you want to talk about something like this. Like they're not going to love me. They're not going to be there for me. They're going to think I'm this disgusting, horrible person um, who's who's been doing this stuff with someone who's meant to be, you know, my uncle and, and caring person in our family. And, you know, all these emotions come up. And, and, I, and I think the biggest thing is, like, we long, particularly as, as 
or any of us, any anyone as a, as a child or even as an adult, we just we just want to be loved and cared for and nurtured and just to be held. And I'd always gone to bed and I just wanted my mom to just take it all away. You know, I, I dreamed of like feeling that safety and that connection where I didn't have to worry about any of this stuff. And and to think that me sharing this would potentially I was never going to have that or I was going to lose all that was really tough. And, um, you know, it's it's something I think that we create for ourselves because by speaking up it brings up all this uncomfortable stuff and we don't want to be uncomfortable because that makes us feel unsafe. But when we step into it and we can own it and we can actually speak up, it's most of the time that this false reality that we create. And so when I did finally talk to mum and dad and I shared what had happened, uh, yeah, I cried. Yeah, I like sobbed and I sobbed, but um, she held me and she said, I never wanted this to happen to you because it happened to me too. And I've never told anyone. Wow. What a powerful moment. That beautiful. has yeah. ultimately shaped who you have become today. Absolutely. Um, and if anyone is sitting in a similar place to anything, that we've discussed. There's Lifeline 13, 11, 14. If you want to take that first step and you want to speak up and speak out about what's happened to you, then give them a call uh, and they are there for you day and night. And we'll be back with more Life Bursts straight after this. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut community service announcement. This is Life Burst. We are chatting to Kel. And Kel, thank you for being so uh, courageous in sharing what you do. You can see the, uh, the impact in in sharing that, that it had at that point in your life where you finally did. Uh, what gave you the courage to to continue to share and to be now an advocate for others uh, sharing in a big and bold way? Yeah, look, um, <laughs> there's lots of reasons, I think. And I, I know that when I spoke up, I mean, I know that I saved my sister. Right? So... Um, there's a couple of reasons. One, because I don't believe there's a plan B for me. <laughs> I, I remember when I was 12 and I, I got in trouble because I was staring off into space and crying and mum's like, what's wrong with you? And she's like, come on, let's go. We've got to get out of the shop, you know. But I specifically remember um, I was having a vision, right, and I'm a visionary. That's who I am and I'm a creative and that's hard on its own. <laughs> but I, I just remembered. And, and I was only probably 12 or 13, I must have been, and I, I just remember speaking to a sea of people and I was so inspired by what was in my mind. I was, I was you know, there was tears in my eyes and it's, it's never left me. That vision has never left me. The thought has never left me that I would one day speak about this and all the other little girls and boys would be okay. And that was what was in my head at that time as a, as a young person. Um, I don't know what that was going to look like and I've held that vision for forever since that that point in time um, 
and it and it hasn't left me and I don't feel I have been left. You know, I have a very big faith mission in this and I continually keep my eyes on that one moment and just keep walking towards it. Even if I don't know where my feet are going to land uh, and even if it's hard, I just I just keep going and sometimes it just takes me longer and sometimes I really suck and I don't want to get out of bed and do it, but I know that I have to do this. This is not an option because when I stop doing it or I just I, I get this niggling anxiety and I know that I'm not then in alignment with what I'm meant to be doing. So uh, it's it's to 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 keep with that vision and that passion from from then and it will be my life's work. It will be what I continue to do. So, um, you know, I do it through this. I do it as a police officer. I, I you know, will continue on this path and I, I don't want it to happen to other people. I don't want them to have to go through what I experienced. But more than that, it's about empowering our children to be able to make safe disclosures, our families to provide that safe space for those disclosures so we are educated because it doesn't get better but we have to get better because it doesn't go away. So mm. we just need to be we need to be strong, we need to be able to speak up and we need to be able to share what's going on in safe spaces and mm. have these big conversations. And what would you say to people who are going through uh, or have experienced that or suspect uh, others are going through something similar. Um, what what action should they take uh, apart from finding someone to talk to? Look, there's lots of ways you can you can report, and uh, I would encourage reporting because uh, unfortunately, child sex offenders don't usually just have one one victim. Um, it's it's a repeated pattern of behaviours, and they target more than one person. Um, there's there's lots of stuff around that that I could continue to talk to you about, but the most important thing is to one, a lot of people don't feel like they can speak up because they're in an unsafe situation. So what I would say is to get yourself into a position where you can speak to someone who is safe, or take yourself to a safe space, um, so you can disclose or you can report about what's going on. If you're not sure, sometimes a lot of people ask me because they're worried about other families or. They think that something's going on. Just call your local child safety department or police. You can always ask for welfare checks and things like that. So, um, you know, and and obviously, like I'm an ambassador for Brave Hearts um, and for Child Save Australia, and um, most organisations these days have mandatory reporting. And so sometimes those disclosures come out in, you know, we're in sporting clubs and all that sort of stuff. So make sure that whoever you're around is trained and like you know, ask ask your sporting clubs have they got um, you know, procedures in place for when kids disclose and, and, and Child Save Australia and Brave Hearts and those organisations can support you with that. So um, there's lots of things that you can do, but please don't sit in silence. Uh, it, it, it's hard to speak up, but it's even harder to live with it for the rest of your life and wonder what if. Thank so, you for sharing I'm, that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really want to know about the journey of writing a book. Tell us about writing that. a book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's very cathartic. Uh, <laughs> it started as a three week. I mean, it took me three weeks to write my first draft and then it took me probably three years to get it out. So <laughs> I had to do some work on me. So for something like this, it's not particularly easy, but um, it's it's worth it. And, and I think everybody's got a book in, in you. And I do do some coaching around that and I do some coaching around sharing your story. So, um 
Take us through the process. How did it come about? What type of support did you need to put around you? Uh, Yeah, take us through that. Oh, right. Well, look, (laughs) that is one of the things, it's one of the biggest milestones in in this is getting that done because Mm -hmm. I am a bit of a creative person and I sort of start a million projects and don't finish them. So uh, actually committing... Yeah, <laughs> committing to, to writing in the first place and deciding what it is that you want and what impact you want to have with it. See, I, I mean, you can just write it. Some people write memoirs for their family because they want to tell their story to their families. I knew I was writing this for a global impact. Um, but for me, it's it supports what I do. So I talk about it and I'm like, here's my story, read it, you know, because there's lots of stuff that's multi-layered in that. And so the first thing is committing to why you want to write a book your purpose behind it and and what impact you want to have with it. And it changes how you write because if you're just writing for your friends and family, it's different. And when I wrote this, I wrote this with that so many I wrote it as this. The little little Kel. Kelly Humphreys, the little the little girl from out in the bush that was scared and afraid. And I wrote it from Kelly Humphreys, the police officer who now has thirteen years experience in law enforcement. You know? And then I wrote it as somebody, I'm like, all right, if I'm my mum, what, what do I need to hear from a parent's point of view? How can I protect my child? And then I've written it for, okay, Kelly Humphreys in five years' time is planning to do this, this and this. So it's, it's layered and it has many hats and, you know, knowing what you're doing and the reasons behind it is really important. And then it's picking out the most important parts of your journey that have made the biggest impact on you. It's understanding the lessons behind it and the reasons why it happened. And I'm writing my second book at the moment, and uh, it it is about understanding the trauma. So it goes even deeper again into places I didn't even know I could go. And it's very confronting, but it's very safe uh, because of how I write. So, you know, the intention was always there. In the back of my book, I set myself an accountability, and I said, book two and three are coming soon. Soon it's still two years down the track, but it's coming. So. How do you deal with those things when those struggles, those hard parts when you're writing your book and you have to deal with them yourself emotionally and mentally and physically, how do you deal with them? It's tough sometimes. A lot of people talk about triggers and triggers being like, oh, my God, I can't go there because it's going to trigger me. And, you know, a lot of those things were very difficult in the beginning, but you there's, the, what I say to people about that is that's your body's way of telling you that you need to deal with something. It's not to scare you. It's not to make you afraid. It's not to shut you down. But that's what you, we allow to happen when we become triggered. So by being kind to ourselves, like I remember there was one part, particularly it was about how I talked about speaking to my parents and I didn't sit right with me. And you know inside yourself you've got to listen to yourself that if something's not sitting right, then you need to do something about that. And I could have just ignored that and shut it down and not done anything with it, but I sat with it. I asked myself lots of questions and I let myself go through that process until it didn't hurt anymore. And so it's just backing yourself. It's trusting yourself, trusting your body to do what your body does and listening to what your body is saying to you because it's your greatest teacher. We just refuse to listen and be uncomfortable because we don't want that. Mm. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, thanks, Kel. This is Life Burst. You're listening to Kel's story here with Sarah and Matt. 
Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle RawCutAU. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. Now, continue to take us on your journey. Uh, Kel, you've uh, written this book and it's pretty awesome by the sounds of it from what you've been talking about. So continue the journey on from there. What happened when you finished writing the book? Yeah, so I I started very gently, I guess. Um, I knew... Uh, in 2015, um, which is when I started speaking, that I was going to publish this book at some point. And so I thought, well, I better start talking about it then. So um, I was very lucky and I gathered support of, uh, I just networked and I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just kept following that vision and trusting my instincts. Like if I felt somebody was a good person to connect with, I, I, I just connected with them. And um, pretty soon I started to develop these like-minded, passionate people and then um, I actually joined a Toastmasters at police headquarters and they were brilliant and very supportive. Uh, and I shared one of my first open uh, conversations about my journey with um, senior police executives at, at this, this Toastmasters meeting. And I thought, gosh, if I can do it in front of them, uh, which, you know, the police executives, they're, they're wonderful, but sometimes I get a little bit, uh, intimidated because they're, they're, you know, big leaders in in this organisation. I thought, well, if I can do it in front of them, I can do it in front of anybody. So mm-hmm. um, it gave me a lot of courage and um, they recognised that too and nominated me for an International Women's Day Award for Courage, which was a beautiful way to look at doing something um, that I never thought was brave and I never thought was courageous. So it really shaped and and gave me what I needed to continue on a journey that I, I wasn't sure how I was going to take. So, um, you know, I've, I've just taken opportunities as they've come. I've spoken when I've been asked to and I've, I've you know, done some online speaking, these types of things, um, although I've had a bit of a break for a while. I've got to be burned out. But, um, yeah, I just continue to speak about what happened and to go deeper into to trauma and triggers and why we do what we do. Um, and writing, I'm now writing my, my second book, which is 10 Steps to Finding Your Unscathed Beauty. I still don't have a proper title for it, but it's it's about understanding uh, what happened and, and why it happened and because a lot of adult survivors out there really struggle and, and they struggle to understand why they behave the certain, certain ways, why we attract the partnerships we attract, um boundaries we don't we struggle with boundaries we struggle with people pleasing behaviors and there's so many reasons for all of this stuff that we just don't know and it's linked directly to what happened as children so it's a very empowering book it will be an amazing uh book but it's taken me to get to where i am to be able to write that because i've had to do the work myself so basically everything i do is <laughs> and talk about as a reflection of my own journey so mm-hmm. um you know, about getting bigger and growing in myself, um, which is the best way to help everybody else. So it's just what I keep doing. And, and um, I hope I hope to make some big waves shortly. I've just been invited. Um, it's pretty exciting to speak at the National Child Protection Forum in Darwin in July, um, and I'm sharing my story there, which is ex- very exciting. It's huge for me, um, a very massive opportunity 
uh, to shape how child protection uh, is is um, governed in Australia. So that's that's powerful. It's very powerful. That is very powerful. It takes a lot of courage to speak up about something when you don't feel supported enough, where you don't feel loved and cared about, which you've shared about before. But how are those people that have known you for a long time and watched you go on this journey, what have they said about you? Yeah, look, I know my family's very proud um, and, and they have been very supportive. From the beginning, it was very hard. We all obviously had our own journeys to go through when I first disclosed mm. about this. Mm. You know, mum and dad have had their part to deal with and, you know, I've obviously had my part to deal with and... Um, it's only when coming back and writing this and being so open about it that we've been able to have these big conversations as a family and it, it's still very difficult and I know that they still nurse their wounds with it and, um, you know, that's that's their part of their journey but them seeing me happy and seeing me doing what I'm doing is, is very powerful for them and I know we were, Mum and I appeared on SBS Program Insight um, about difficult conversations um, and impossible choices and you know she she has shared her story also in my book so um it really does go into some generational stuff because um it's it's very important to understand sometimes um how you're how you're speaking up can actually unlock people in their own prisons you know there's people waiting to to share but they almost just need someone else to share which gives them permission so um you know that's very much the story with with my mother and i but um you know, I've had my, my partner's incredibly supportive. I've got beautiful friends around me and I have um, just releasing, it's, it's UBU, it's an unscathed beauty slash um, be yourself um, in spite of anything that's happened to you um, on my website. It's just, it's it's to build a tribe because you can't do this on your own. You, you really can't. It's, it's such a big struggle. So when you find like-minded, passionate people who can support you through your healing process, it makes life so much easier. So UBU is on my on my website and it's just about looking after each other and, and stepping into growth and healing um, because, yeah, it, I mean, I have struggled on my own through so much of this stuff, but it's only when I've networked and it's only when I've been brave enough to speak up and to share what's going on that I've found this support and I know that I'm not alone. How can I think my whole life that I was alone because I didn't speak up, I didn't share. And so it's only when we do that that we, that we find solidarity with other people who have, have struggled and it makes a big, big difference. Well, thank you um, so much for sharing. I know that mm. we've said that continuously, but we really mean it. We <laughs> really, really do mean it. Yeah. Um, and in the final two minutes of our show, what is the one piece of advice that you would like to leave with those today? Yeah, well, I have, I have this quote that um, I shared at the Australian Centre to counter child exploitation. And it's quite simply that sometimes the greatest gift you can give someone is um, the power of their voice. And that's that's the power to, to, to speak out of silence and, and shine out of shame. And the reason that that's such a profound quote is because when we speak up the shame cannot continue to exist and it's that shame that keeps us silent and it's the shame that holds us back and inhibits us from becoming all who we were born to be in spite of everything that's happened so you know that essentially is why i called my book unscathed beauty mm. 
Okay, well, thanks so much for, for that advice, for your honesty and sharing the story. You've, you've given us an insight into not only the things that have happened to you um, not okay, which, which we have a sense of, but into the impact that it has on someone uh, and the impact of, of opening up and sharing that. Uh, just uh, That's going to have a huge impact on a lot of people. Where can people find your website if they want to seek out your books and hear more of your story uh, and some of those tools you've talked about? Yeah, um, definitely. So it's just kellyhumphreys.com. Um, Kelly with the Y, Humphreys, H-U-M-B-H-R-I-E-S. I'm sure you can drop it in on the yeah, comments. It'll be dropped in the links and stuff like <laughs> that. So thank yeah, you. Thank you once again, thank you. Kel, for no your time today. Mm. Um, thank sharing. you, guys. Appreciate it. This has been Life First. So you can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, and uh, videos on Facebook and YouTube as well. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thanks so much for joining us. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman, with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.